December 5th Death of a Christmas Fairy Ms Holly Tiptree, whom nominative determinism might suggest would be a perfect head of the Council Committee on Street Decoration and Festival Planning, but who, in fact, enjoyed nothing more than cutting funding to the seasonal lights, found dead, lashed to the top of the civic Christmas tree in the High Street. Apparently they're going to put a star on the top next year. They just haven't yet decided who. Dead Vent Calendar, a merry murder mystery in 24 crimes. Written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. I rather like local papers. Living in London, you tend to create your miniature version of the city, a collage village made up of streets and buildings and people scattered all over the city. The local papers are a reminder that you live in a specific place, a place that has councillors and planning disputes and parking problems and odd, overlooked little events. We had got home and Shiloh had found a channel broadcasting a roaring log fire for Christmas and had sat down in front of it, drawing up his knees under his chin and was lost in thought in what he evidently hoped was a decent imitation of Paget's drawing of Sherlock Holmes cogitating, if Sherlock Holmes had had a cup of tea and a biscuit instead of a cocaine needle. Anyway... I'd laid down on the sofa with a local paper, which was when I saw it. Listen to this, I said to his unresponsive back. There are calls for safety checks after local businessman Simon Constantinou died after a mishap with a Christmas cracker. The faulty cracker caused a spark that ignited the highly flammable Santa outfit Mr. Constantinou was wearing at his work's Christmas lunch. Mr. Constantinou was killed in the resulting fire. Safety concerns have been raised about both the crackers and the outfit, and consumers are being encouraged to be aware of fire risk labelling. That's odd, said Shiloh without turning round. Isn't it? I said. Why make the consumers do the work of checking? Capitalism's a hell of a drug. That's not what I meant, he said. I know, I said. I was joking. Unlikely death by exploding cracker. Unlikely death by Christmas lights he said, finally turning round and craning over the back of the chair, excitement gleaming in his eyes. One unlikely death is just unlikely, I said. Two is an unlikely coincidence, he replied. But three... I sped through the paper, scanning the pages. Nothing else here that I can see, I said. If only there was some way that we could instantaneously check all the news from London, from the comfort of our own sitting room. Fetch me down my Google, Watson, he said. Your phone's there, I said. And call me Watson again and we will have our third murder, although that would be all too likely and not fit the pattern. I picked up my phone and started searching. Constantino was on the third, he said, down in Labrook Grove. Ooh, I've got a decapitation here, I said, from Sunday night. A sleigh detached from a fairground ride and went through a food stand. A man ended up with candy floss instead of a head. I've got a woman who was found stuffed up a chimney, asphyxiated to death, said Shiloh. And here's Ramage, I said, turning off the lights. Four unlikely deaths, said Shiloh. Sleigh ride Sunday, Christmas tree Monday, 
Cracker on Tuesday, then the suffocating Mrs. Klaus today. It's the fourth today, I said. One unlikely Christmas-themed death a day since the 1st of December. This is more than unlikely, my friend, said Shiloh. This is a pattern. That or someone's got a very odd advent calendar this year, I said. The next day was shoe leather. Shoe leather and unwanted questions. London may be a seething pot of every kind of humanity, but they all have something very fundamental in common. None of them want to talk to you. None of this was made any more palatable by a friend who insists on walking everywhere. He says it's the only way to see the true London. This may be the fact, if the true London is jostling through crowds of aimless tourists, skipping over puddles of urine, being shoved into traffic by braying men in shiny suits, sore feet, cold ears and a bone-deep soul-sapping weariness. Security at Constantinou's office didn't like us at all, but hanging around the smoking area in the alley out back revealed that they also didn't like him. Mostly because he'd refused any requests for Christmas holiday and was making everyone work right up to and including Christmas Eve. From there, down to one of those South London suburbs where Georgian villas huddle around a patch of grass while the city has spread out to surround them with housing developments and concrete shopping centres. The fair on the common was closed after the accident and the police crime scene tape flapped from the bare trees like a desultory seasonal decoration. The man who had had the fatal sleigh ride, and I think I deserve some credit for not spelling that S-L-A-Y, was a separated father who had been planning to take his child away to Florida for Christmas, leaving the single mother on her own. According to the gossip in the Greasy Spoon, he was in the habit of precisely this kind of grand gesture, that and also of not paying his child support regularly. If you could just about see the original village in the suburb, it was impossible to imagine what the North London street might have been like in its Victorian heyday. Now the towering house, in whose chimney the woman had been found, was subdivided into a warren of tiny flats, all threadbare landlord carpet and damp walls, which it turned out she had owned. The tenants were apparently all too used to her wandering around their flats at all times of the day or night, searching for infractions that she had used to throw them out. The rumour was that she had been determined to get all of them out before Christmas. They were, however, at a loss to explain how this might have been achieved by getting stuck up a chimney. Finally, Shiloh let me get a bus. We sat, like all sensible people, in the front seats on the top deck, watching London grind past below us. A Scrooge boss, he said, banning Christmas holidays, an estranged father imposing one, a landlord trying to evict all her tenants before Christmas, a builder who has managed to keep a woman out of her house. You can't admit there aren't motives. Poor Penny was under torture by theatre, I replied. The pub staff laid out the crackers for Constantinou's party. The mother and child were at the grandparents and all the tenants just happened to be at the pub together moaning about their landlord. All of them have alibis. You have to admit there isn't the opportunity. Neat, isn't it? He said. Once you eliminate the impossible, over crying out loud. Whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth, he finished. What are you talking about? I said. There is nothing remaining. Yes, we have unlikely Christmassy deaths of distinctly unchristmassy people, but it just doesn't work. The suspects couldn't have done it. I think, he said, we ought to go out tonight. You're kidding, I said. I just want to go home and put my feet up. Come on, he said. It'll be just like when we first moved to London. Oh, 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 oh.
You have been listening to Deadvent Calendar, written by Tobias Sturt from an original idea by Tobias Sturt and Rowan Davis. The story is read by John Millington, and I read the murders. The music is The Slay by The Sportsman and by Mitch Miller and his orchestra and chorus, both from the Internet Archive. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word, and even rate and review it if you can. You can find more on SoundCloud, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, and on our website at ruritania.co.uk stories. And tune in next episode to open another fatal window in our dead vent calendar. We are going onward through the night.